0: Hi everyone, this is Neulinger in Berlin with me, Pip Roper, talking to people who've chosen to pursue their passions here in Berlin. Talking to me this episode is Dr. David Mears, a Yorkshireman who recently completed his PhD focusing on youth and juvenile delinquency during the Nazi and post-war era in Berlin. We dive into that fascinating and dark era, and also talk about David's current writing project. And we round it off with a really nice and cheeky carrot cake. Hello Dr. David Mears. Hello. That was it. <laughs> um uh thanks for coming. That makes you sound an extremely serious person, which I know that you are
1: at times. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But you, you you're not a doctor in like uh, is there a doctor on the plane kind of doctor?
1: Not unless there's um an inquiry very specific to my PhD subject yeah. which has never happened.
0: Yeah. So So I'm kind of
1: I guess I'm uh, serious on occasion. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Um, but it still feels quite surreal because it took me quite a long time to finish it. I got my doctorate last year and um, it started really in St. Andrew's University in Scotland. So that's where I did my undergrad. I studied modern British history and modern German history. And one of the courses there was on, it's called the German urban experience Um, and it's about the growth of the city in Germany from the late 19th through the Weimar Republic to the Third Reich and yeah it was just absolutely fascinating and my then tutor went on to become Professor in one history at the University of Limerick in Ireland and I basically followed him over there beginner PhD, which was about juvenile delinquency in Berlin in the Second World War and the post-war period. So essentially I could, I needed to come to Berlin to use the libraries, archives and everything here and did the research here, did the writing here and um, yeah, finally finished it last year.
0: Yeah, congratulations. Thank you. It's quite a feat. Um, so, what? How long ago was it that you moved over?
1: I moved to Berlin. Um, when was it? About eight years ago now. Eight
0: years ago, yeah, yeah. Was it was studying here kind of a, a bit of a culture shock, being away from obviously because the PhD was through the University of Limerick. Was that? Do you think that added a, an extra stress to it, being away from your supervisor, or or was it kind of?
1: Yeah, it was had advantages and disadvantages. So I was kind of cut loose from the academic environment in many ways because I was so far away from my university. But because my supervisor had a flat here, still has a flat here, we could have kind of supervision sessions here mm-hmm. and um, he could give me a bit of guidance with the particular chapter I was working on or not working on as the case yeah. may have been and yeah i kind of made this my home i guess
0: yeah did it change a lot the the thesis um i think you find that with most people who do a big thesis it tends to be it starts off as something and then changes into morphs into something else did you find that it was quite a surprise what it ended up being
1: yeah i mean the Thesis title ended up as being, uh, and I guess this sounds a bit convoluted. It's thesis title is Policing Wayward Youth Mm -hmm. Law, Society and Youth Criminality in Berlin, 1939 to 1953. Oh, yeah. Which is a pretty specific and uh, yeah, pretty specific title. But within that, the thesis is. I think involves urban history, social history, cultural history, legal history. Possibly it can't be identified in any of those categories. It's kind of a strange Mm -hmm. mixture of all of them. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, it's it's still something, even when I was struggling to write it, which, which continued to be quite interesting. And the PhD subject, which most people, when I talked about it, were interested in. And the basic premise is that it was spanning the, the zero hour of 1945, because a lot of the history of Germany, certainly where youth has been concerned, either starts or stops in 1945. And whilst that's an obvious break it really makes it more difficult to see lines of possible continuity. Mm -hmm. So, for example, although obviously a lot changed and this, for example, biological perspective of the offender racial theory, um, which for obvious reasons was severely diminished after 1945, you still had a lot of laws and decrees passed by the Nazis that were kept on by the Allies in the post-war period. So, for example, just... To briefly give one example as something called the law for the protection against serious juvenile felons and that could meant even if you were 16 you could be sentenced to death right if the crime said to be in the third like a heinous act of treason against uh, the fatherland so the law was kept on the words were changed but essentially the The essential premise of the law was kept on because what you had after 1945, certainly in Berlin, a lot of displaced peoples coming in. You had um, a legal system, police system, which was completely shaken and almost entirely destroyed. So you had these punitive measures that were kept on to try and get a handhold on what was seen as being delinquent, wayward, criminal youth roaming the rubble-strewn streets. Mm. And it was obviously in the Allies' best interest, whether Soviet, British, American, French, to try and re-establish some kind of stability after the Second World War. Mm -hmm. But how they did that kind of depends on the sector of Berlin you were in. And it depended on the crime you committed if it was seen as any way as being political in the Soviet sector if you defaced a poster of Stalin then you were in big trouble
0: yeah he <laughs> didn't um, like that no he doesn't like that no he's already got a moustache don't draw one on him
1: yeah well you couldn't draw Hitler moustache because that was smaller than of course. Stalin's moustache you can't you, so can that,
0: add, you can't take away
1: no Exactly. <laughs> the most
0: important rule yeah. we learned. That's
1: why he grew the mustache of the course, way Of course he, he knew. Yeah. Um
0: so um which the sources because obviously I think that's so fascinating as well not because because as you say it's not just um it's not just a particular period it's not just looking at you know the Hitler Youth doing this or even though obviously that's very interesting and, and becomes part of it but it's something that spans through so you have your delinquency you know juvenile delinquency exists through through the ages um, and obviously yeah. exists and to see it transition and kind of change through through that period and obviously go from being something very different in the Weimar era um, were, you, were your sources did they tend to be and the fact that it also spans legal history as you say social were your sources mainly of a legal nature yeah. yeah, mainly. So it's quite heavy, I imagine, to sift through yeah. in German. Yeah. Yeah, fun. <laughs>
1: yeah, it, w- it wasn't that much fun at the beginning because I had a bit of German before I moved here, but it was nowhere near the level required to translate what were often very dry legal documents. But even there, I mean, that it's almost a separate language. Mm-hmm. Amt Deutsch, this yeah. very bureaucratic to the point, way of describing a particular person, issue, case. So, the files I used were: I used a lot of criminal court case files that are in the State Archive in Berlin, the Landesarchiv. And that is a history of one particular youth or groups of youths connected to a particular crime, it includes a questionnaire, information about their age, their occupation, their family backgrounds, there's welfare reports, trial transcripts, which tell you not only the crime they committed, but the reasons for giving a particular punishment. And it was often spoken about in educational terms. Right. So the continuity also comes to the fact that there was a, a youth court law, which was brought in 1923, And that was the first time where there was a legal distinction between adult and juvenile Mm -hmm. offender. The idea being that juvenile is yet to be fully formed, that they're not entirely criminally responsible for their actions. But this was really not only chipped away out, it was uh, almost almost systematically perverted by the Nazi state Mm -hmm. who would use these ideas of incorrigible offenders uh, to justify locking them up for an Mm indefinite period of time Mm -hmm. with no kind of checks and balances if the crime was serious enough it didn't matter Mm -hmm. if you were 16 or 60.
0: And do you think because I know obviously I think when I think about the Nazis in relation with you know the relationship that they had with the youth obviously it's in in terms of the youth but then I always kind of think of it of how they channeled they how they how they channeled you know this this energy yeah. and how they managed yeah. to use it to their own this kind of diabolical thing that is used <laughs> and right. and how they get to, they use it for their own their own ends um, so. That's what I usually think of when I'm thinking of, you know, youth in Nazi Germany is that they're... But obviously not all of them are being filtered through and and being utilised in this way. So if, if a young person was arrested under the Nazis, could it be being involved in other political groups? Or would it be... Would there be something quite obvious, just not adhering to the Nazi ideology?
1: I mean, there were... There was... Really, during the Third Reich, very little political opposition. I mean, yes. that's something that historians are still trying to contend with. Why was it such a stable regime until right at the end, you know, right before the capitulation? Um, and what you have is this romanticized ideal of youth that was absolutely deployed by the Nazis to convey a sense of the moral regeneration of the country. And that was tied in very definitely to the Hitler youth, to the idea that who has the youth has the future. Mm -hmm. So Hitler would say, if we don't have you, the parents, we have your children. So they were to form the basis of this new thousand-year Reich, as Mm -hmm. Hitler pretty consistently referred to it as. And that makes it more difficult to An objective take on youth as a whole after 1945, and certainly what you need, of course, to rebuild a country is the youth. Mm-hmm. And they, for obvious reasons, weren't as responsible for the crimes committed in the name of National Socialism, yet they were part of the Hitler Youth. And many people speak about their time in the Hitler Youth, they have fond memories of it around the campfire, singing songs, going on hiking trips. But there were other youths who were kind of subverting that. So there was, for example, a group in Hamburg called the Swing Youth who would wear English-style clothes, dandy clothes, listen to swing music, which was officially forbidden as being something connected to degenerate, uh, degenerate music, and something which affects the purity of. German children, German youth. Um, but this romanticization then meant that people said, well, look, they resisted the regime after 1945 because they dressed differently, they beat up members of the Hitler youth. But then, how much was that just youthful energy? Yeah, and the that, opposition. The, yeah. and the, the opposition wasn't necessarily opposition to the Hitler youth, yeah. it was just being young and yeah. being rebellious.
0: You are, at the moment, researching um, what sounds like it's going to be a very interesting book. Um, uh, and um, this sounds fascinating as well, because this goes further back to the Weimar era, doesn't it? And kind of yeah. obviously taking a further look at that continuity, really, that, that runs through of these these stories of delinquency. Um, but it came about because you found a very interesting book.
1: Yeah. I mean, I didn't find it, but this is a book which was originally published in 1932, by an author called Ernst Hafner, and it was called originally Youth on the Road to Berlin. And it's really quite a visceral, quite immediate take on the problems that young people had at that stage in the early 30s with high unemployment, with many young people coming to Berlin to try and get a job, try and secure their future. What they found was chaos on the streets, I mean, not only in terms of political battles between, say, the uh, the Nazi SA and the the Red Front of the uh, KPD, the Communist Party, but just the welfare system, which was really creaking under the strain. And you had a lot of people who were really had to live hand to mouth and a lot of these Young people were in and out of welfare institutions but kicked out because they were described in the language of the time as being unverbesserlich, incorrigible. And this is a pretty gripping, pretty realistic, I think, take on what happened to these kids on the streets. They were involved in crime and prostitution. And areas like the vehicle that were said really certain places of it was, were no-go areas for the police that were seen to be criminal areas that were breeding these criminals. And a lot of these people, because of their backgrounds, a lot of people who came into the city, I mean, if we're talking about the East, people fleeing pogroms there, but other youths who were unemployed throughout Germany would come. And really the only means of existence was grouping together and having each other's backs and being involved in petty criminality and getting shitfaced in fairly disreputable bars around what's now the Alexanderplatz and nobody knows anything about the author um it was republished in German in 2013 it was translated into English um i think 2014 2015 and there's a journalist who, through my supervisor, wanted to know who this author was and wanted to know whether the story read authentically. And I, how this book project started was a bit of detective work in terms of who Ounce Hatner was. There's been a lot of conjecture as to who he was. But he seems to be a pretty elusive. MF Starwood Starwood
0: oh
1: and, yeah. um so the fun part for me is trying to get to the bottom of who he was but also within that story of youth at the end of the Weimar Republic trying to talk a little bit about yeah these continuities about um the topography of the city um about what happened to you, your day to day experience. And through that, I mean, there's some amazing books on this like, Dublin's Alfred Dublin's Berlin Alexanderplatz, which is this kind of montage, amazing montage of kind of using advertising, using um, these new forms of communication and putting it all into a melting pot together and talking about this guy who's just been released from prison. He's been there for a few years and he's trying to readapt to this kind of swirling, bustling metropolis and feels entirely lost. And uh, Eric Kestner's Fabian. So there's a lot of kind of social, social realist works that deal with these things. Mm-hmm. And I think have quite a sympathetic take on those that certain bureaucracies have would describe as delinquent or criminal. Mm-hmm. So trying to talk about the social aspects of it, the economic aspects of it and the fact that a lot of these people often didn't really have a choice in terms of how they were going to survive. Mm-hmm. So Hafner's book is quite a sympathetic and quite riveting take on that. So that's the basis of the book. Around that are other journalists and writers that I've got to know through, through that
0: it's, um, it's crazy to think about in terms of what's, what happens next doesn't it as well and to think about like what it dives into yeah just these kind of like extremes
1: definitely and you can see that Berlin was really entirely changed not just during the second world war in terms of it being very heavily bombed but actually from 1933 you have street names changed you have squares changed you have this ever-present propaganda on the streets these huge speakers blaring out hit the speeches all over the place and just a really violent reimagining of history a history which was then as they told it sympathetic to whatever the hell they thought they were doing mm-hmm. in 1933 during the seizure of power so it's very difficult not to think of this guy, Ernst Hafner, writing at the end of the Weimar Republic. But of course, although he had a lot of political tumult and problems, nobody could have necessarily envisaged what would happen. Yeah. Yeah. You know, less than a year after he wrote it. Yeah. With this incredibly swift, very violent seizure of power yeah. by the National Socialists.
0: kind of that thing as well of, of how germany german germans deal with we deal with history in that that way that is um quite unique and quite special and quite yeah. um and well very progressive and arguably something something that we come into contact quite often in, in communicating history um just the way it's like yeah it's all it's all laid bare really and it's a this really good relationship that they have with it that it's yeah. like yeah it happened and and as long as you're discussing it in a in a in a an arena of kind of mutual respect, then it's fine to be discussing it. You know, they don't have a problem with it. You know, it's it's.
1: Yeah, that's very well put. I think that there is, for obvious reasons, a seriousness about it, but I think there's a recognition that it's very healthy to maybe have an outsider's perspective. So, um, I'm originally from from the UK and. Whilst there is within any academia, within any country, a certain amount of snobbishness and a certain amount of snootiness, which can be very off-putting, I think there's there's people certainly that I've met here who are genuinely enthused at having, you know, different cultural backgrounds, people from different cultural backgrounds, but being involved in German history, in discussing, trying to work out what happened, how it happened, and still for obvious reasons something which is dealt with a lot in terms of the period 1933 to 1945 but i think even within that there are still aspects that have been under-researched like i would say youth um, that's there's really nothing in english for example on on juvenile delinquency uh, not too much on it so there's always aspects of it that can be further researched and I mean if you're in Berlin and you're into history it's a pretty good place to be yeah. because yeah meeting people like yourself who are who are involved in as you say communicating history with the for example tours we do on the streets of Berlin occasionally and getting other people's take on it as well talking about it and everyone has a different take on it, according to where they're from or how they've been and educated. Everyone's fascinated
0: about by it as well. Like I think, I think the thing I really like about it is that it's a city that the the history you can, obviously, it's extremely complex, but you can boil it down and you can get people having a really good understanding of it. And with it being so recent as well, yeah. then then they really kind of feel quite invested in it. I'm sure a lot of people feel very fascinated by what you're doing because. You know delinquency and juvenile delinquency and youth is something that we're always good god there's always going to be teenagers tragically um but you know do you feel able to deal with youths better now like you're like hey kids do you feel like you're in a good position now you can be like listen i understand this or no. Not really. No, I don't. No. They're terrifying. Just stay away. Because from what them.
1: I've been reading is policemen telling them about how they're little shits and how they should yeah. behave themselves and how they need to grow up. And
0: they're not having
1: it. And not be dirty little criminals. Yeah. So I wouldn't say that. Because then these files, you only get a certain aspect of it. Of course. So it's yeah. important to try and get the perspective of the people who were being criminalized and labeled as this the problem being that in these archives you're not finding too much of that it's mostly police or the justice ministry you don't have their voices really yeah Yeah. so that's that's necessary to try and disentangle that little bit and uh, try and broaden the the scope if you can Mm -hmm. but yeah no I think as I'm sure you'd have found as well as you said that people generally very enthused about being in Berlin this is quite dramatic, fairly mm. recent history yeah. and you have the backdrop of these, these amazing places in the city to take people to and, and explain the history and I think it maybe makes it come to life a little bit yeah. more
0: I think I feel, it makes me feel better about the world because I think it's, you know whatever's going on uh, you feel like you know, you know, in your own country, in your own, you know, back garden. You know, you look at the history of... It's pati- particularly Berlin, and it's like... What was this city like 26 years ago? You know, just... And today, it's just the most fabulous place to live. It's got its own character. It's... There's so much to do. There's so much to see and experience. Yeah. You know, the people... Are great, you know, not in the sense that they're all about to. I mean, it's something Jonathan said on the podcast. Actually, he's like, they're not all going to give you a big hug and say, "You know," it's like because it's Berlin and it's like, well, fuck yes. <laughs> like I don't know, it just seems it's it's very much kind of like, um, it just seems like it's very. I don't know. It's just great, isn't it? I just love it. <laughs> That's why I make a podcast about it because the, yeah, great. people come here because it's just it's just fantastic and it's but at the same time i just find it unapologetic as well it's like which is almost seems kind of counterintuitive they're talking about the history and they mm-hmm. are they memorialize they talk about it there's memorials there's you know be like for example you know in the center of town but at the same time they're getting the job done you know they're moving forward yeah. and i just find that to be so refreshing sometimes and so and so um and so great. Anyway, um, we'll have to do cake. So save your act. Let's a, do cake. Let's do the cake. Yeah. Well,
1: first impressions, the, the in smell terms, it seems like it could be a hit.
0: Good. So here is the carrot cake. Smell terms is good. Yeah, um, I.
1: I'm not a professional, uh, cake eater. I because well, I call it cake eater, which is, doesn't sound very professional. No,
0: what would a professional cake eater be? Mary Berry, I guess. <laughs> Jesus, she's done. My right mum loves her. My mum loves whose mum does not love her. Yeah. I have yet to meet anyone's mum or grand. Who doesn't love her? Um, uh, I'm a bit nervous because usually I would take a slice out of this and have a try because I'm a bit kind of uh, paranoid that it might be awful. Um, but yeah. it's, if it's awful, we've said that we're going to pretend that it's fine.
1: I'm going to pretend that it tastes good. Yeah,
0: good, good. Well, that's what I'd expect. So this is a it'd carrot Is be it being polite to say it's? it's oh, it horrible. would. Oh, it would. This is and this is a big knife. <laughs> this is carrot cake with an orange and mascarpone. Um, icing. And yeah, mm. if I can take the paper off it, it will be yummy. There we go. Thank you. You're welcome. Ready. Good appetite. Appetit. Right. Oh, thank God, it's great.
1: Oh, <laughs> that's really, that's <laughs> horrible
0: yeah he lies i'm joking he <laughs> lies that's that is
1: a that is a tasty cake Mmm. oh and the icing spectacular mm. um I wanted to say that it was horrible just to kind of get one over on you
0: yeah good but, luck with that
1: but unfortunately
0: we can still hear you eating it so. So you win. So I win. Well, thanks, pal. Thank you. This has been so... I could sit and talk all day. It's been so interesting. Good luck with the... Good luck with the book. Oh, no, that's a Father Ted reference that we have to cut out. Is it? Yeah. Good luck with the book. Oh, shit. Um, Sorry, (laughs) I'll have to say that again without laughing now. Good luck with the book. Very excited for you. Um, And we'll look out for it. Do. Um, And, yeah, sounds fabulous. Uh, I hope... um, it's completed soon, sooner rather than later. I know that sounds so i <laughs> <laughs> I hope it's you don't drag supervisor. it on, but like, you know. Um, but yeah, I, I hope it I hope it goes well. It sounds really, really interesting, really fascinating. And uh, yeah, cheers.
1: Oh, thank you very much for your lovely hospitality, for the very beautiful cake. And yeah, thanks for the chat, it was fun. No problems. I had a good time.
0: Okay. So that was Dr. David Mears, everybody. Uh, what an interesting guy. Thanks to him for coming in and chatting to me. I could have listened to him talk about that stuff all day. Uh, please like and share the podcast, everybody. Uh, you can tweet at me, at Neulinger Berlin, just the two words, at Neulinger Berlin. I'm trying to get a little bit more out there on Twitter, uh, so if you could tweet at me, that would be great. Um, you can go to the Facebook page, Neulinger in Berlin, and of course, please go to the website and try out that carrot cake, Neulinger in Berlin And we're available on iTunes, so please come and find on iTunes and downloaders. And if you've got time, give us a nice rating, that would be great. Uh, until next time, speak to you very soon and take care.